carefully made it back just in time then. <laughs> there was a little part of me that was thinking, am I now doing the rest of this on my own? Is 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 that is that what's happening? Oh God. He's gone. He's gone. He's left. <laughs> He's just thought, nah, you know what, I'm done with the podcast. I'm out. I'm 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 done. I'm not I'm not coming back. <laughs> Yo, Jennifer. Um I'm sorry, that was that was painfully uncool of me to do that. I should have just stuck with the traditional English. Hello. Uh, good evening. <laughs> how how'd you do? Good evening. <laughs> That's it. Uh, so, I, in in traditional style, even though we've spoken for a good few minutes beforehand, how are you doing, sir? I'm not too bad, mate. How are you? <laughs> Great. Great. Mate, I, the same stuff that happens on another day that ends in Y. Um, <laughs> That's that's pretty much uh, that's yeah yeah <laughs> wave jumpers here hello hello wave jumper um which which is great that, that, yeah, like I've never understood that part about interviews at the start though because everyone seems to do it there's clearly somebody speaking beforehand and yet when they go live how are you I always think did you ever watch the Harry Enfield show where in the beginning yeah. of the show he <laughs> that's that's a grade intros these days. That's a a grade British humour for you. Um, so this evening, guys, we've um, we've. Uh, oh, I tell you what, actually, uh, my brain's my brain's kind of in this moment of going, do it, do it, do it. Okay, so I'll I'll try and do I'll try and do it, and then he can he can judge me after the fact. Uh, um, I'm, I'm, you have no idea what I'm about to try because it's been a while. I've been on Spanish for a while, so I'm kind of I'm kind of out of practice. My heart's go, my heart's going so fast, but I, I am I am going to try. Um, nous avons un invité spécial ce soir, mais comme uh, Adam uh, ne parle pas français, donc nous devrons le faire en anglais. <laughs> hopefully, what I just said, what I hopefully what I just said, <laughs> honest, like I'm, 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 I'm uh, hopefully what I just said was we have a very special guest for you tonight. What were you going to say, mate? I was going to say, how many people did you just insult? This is where you tell It's it's entirely it's entirely possible. I've just insulted an entire generation of people. That's the. I mean, the point is, I tried. That's 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 the point. I tried, um, but basically, ladies and gentlemen, we have we have a very special guest for you tonight, who who does uh, hail from the beautiful country of France, um, but Adam doesn't speak the lingo. So, uh, <laughs> fortunately, we have to do the whole thing in English. Thank 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 God for bilingual individuals. But just to give you a kind of background in terms of who this guy is. Now, um, I, I first I first met Taha when I went over to the uh, the competition in in France, the Nostradamus competition for uh, European Mentalist of the Year, and and quite an adventure it was to be to be fair. Uh, and now, other than the experience, I, I found that not only was this guy arguably one of the most lovely people that I've ever met in my entire life. And I say that not to blow smoke up his ass because I'm gonna get him on in a minute. I say I say it because it's true. We 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 hung out in Paris, he was showing us around uh, everywhere and 
given that he has not one but two massive shows uh, going on in Paris regularly now at the minute, I figured that now would be uh, now would be a great time to get him on and pick his brain about mentalism in, in relating to people and the way that mentalists think about this entire world. So, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, ta-ha. Yay! I, I actually have. Wow, awesome. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Hey. Hello, Adam. Thank, Hello, thank Ben. You, thank you very much for joining us tonight, mate. I do appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Thank you, thank you so much for these wonderful words. I, I don't... I don't deserve any of that i know, I know you really don't awesome. buy i know you don't buy any of it but like i said to you before i wouldn't say them <laughs> if it was if it wasn't true so that's you're gonna have to deal with the compliments so if you blush Fair you enough. blush <laughs> <laughs> oh thank you so much congratulations for your french by the way that was perfect that was thank you. really amazing thank you thank you i genuinely <laughs> I can say this in brutal English now. Genuinely, scare the shit out of me. <laughs> Genuinely, because I like—I I mean, I still do my practicing and whatnot, and I still read—I I, like—I read books in French now, and I'm still practicing. But it's all in here. That's been the first proper sentence or that I've said out loud in maybe I don't know two, three months. Something like that. Oh wow, <laughs> that was really good because your it's accent was really good as well. So Thank you. good on you. Yeah, yeah. That's this awesome. isn't about me. This isn't about me. Uh, okay, good. <laughs> so, uh, 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 Taha, if you would, sir, uh, if, uh, just for the people that don't know uh, uh, anything more than what I've said at the minute, if you could just give us a bit of uh, a bit of background about you know sort of who you are and what you get up to on your on your day to day yeah. basis. Absolutely. So, uh, hi everyone. Uh, so, my name is Taha Mansour, and. Uh, at first, I did a. Um, I have a very weird uh, trajectory. So at first, I studied engineering in uh, a school called Central Paris, which is an engineering school in Paris. Uh, so I did math, engineering, etc., design, science, and understanding systems and how things work and stuff like that, which was fascinating because I really loved science and all that stuff. Um, today, I am a mentalist. So I perform in theaters, just like Ben said. And parallel to that, I am a consultant in soft skills. So what are soft skills? Soft skills are all the skills that are related to communication, uh, speaking correctly, influence, uh, negotiation, dealing with management, stuff like that. Basically skills that are transversal to all sorts of um, jobs, I would say, uh, regardless of whether you're a teacher, you're a manager, you're in like uh, programming or you're in finance or whatever. It's things that deal with how to influence, uh, how to make a presentation that, that will be like uh, captivating, how to deal with uh, conflicts within your own team, uh, how to be creative, stuff like that. And so what I've done is basically I've always been passionate about like uh, theater and mentalism and stuff like that. And so my idea was to mix um, my understanding and, and the tools that I've developed in mentalism and the things that I've learned in theater and stuff like that and to apply them to my understanding of how um, companies work, basically, with my engineering studies uh, to create my consulting things. And so, yeah, I have, I'm completely independent today, so I'm really happy about that. And I juggle between both worlds. Nice. <laughs> that sounds like you, you're working, like, maybe, I don't know, 34, 35 hours a day every... 
<laughs> so my, my 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 first question on the back of that then given that you've managed to uh, you know uh, blur, blur the lines between the theatrical and the you, you know the kind of job based uh, activity yeah. the office based activities not to kind of pigeonhole them but I was struggling <laughs> to think of a term to, to to kind of separate the two where have where have you found that there has been, um, you know, kind of bleed over in your method, I mean, your methodology. Are there some theatrical practices that have a specific home at the office, and some theatrical practices that don't? How do you how do you kind of work that line between the two? So um, the first time that I found it was actually. Uh, so what happened was I the the way that engineering schools work in France here is that you have to do two years of what's known as a prepper. So prepa is very, 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 very intense years where you study a lot and basically you're preparing a competitive exam. Um, so the grades within those two years are regardless because in the end you're preparing a competitive exam that's um, where you compete with all sorts of students from all across uh, France and the best hundred go to the best schools and then the other the, the next hundred go to the next best school and stuff like that and stuff like that. So it's very competitive and it's very intense. And so it's not whether you get a 15 or an 18, it's whether you get a two or 2.5, which is better than the other one who got a one, basically. That's the idea. Um, so when I arrived to, to my engineering school uh, in my first year, I started performing in parallel in, in Paris as well. And I started to really enjoy that. So I started questioning myself about how I would combine these two, just like you said, like, like what can I do that would make me still be able to perform uh, without removing that engineering side, which I still enjoyed. Um, so my counselor uh, in Central uh, told me about a company which, with whom I still work with today uh, called Next Level. So basically the idea of Next Level was that it was founded by 12 people who all came from engineering or business schools and who today are all professional actors, which is really interesting. And so what they found is that basically what they do is we, well, what we do is we use improv. So improv theater as a tool to make people uh, practice all sorts of different uh, socio-psychological tools that will help them uh, improve their communication. And one thing that's essential in improv is the notion of yes and. So for those of you who maybe understand or, or have seen a bit of improv, um, when you got two people on stage doing improv and a first says, look in my, um, look, I have a cup of green tea. Do you want to drink some? The other can't say, no, you have nothing in your hand or no, you're holding a rabbit. I don't know. It won't make sense to the audience. So the idea is that you have to accept anything that arrives. So that's the first yes. But at the same time, you also need to add your own criticism, your own ideas to make that evolve and to make this interesting. So it's the end part. And that conception, that um, way of thinking is actually very useful in all sorts of jobs. Uh, when you're in front of a conflict, when you're in front of a situation where you have no idea what's going on, uh, yeah. something just came out of nowhere and you need to deal with it, uh, the best thing to do is yes, and. So improv works a lot. In, in companies, it allows basically um, like the, the different people I teach, whether in companies or in like schools, um, to practice these certain tools uh, within a framework of improv 
exercises where I play characters, I play different roles. So I'm like, okay, I'm a client and I do this and this and this. How do you react and stuff like that? So that's the first realm, I would say, how to link them both. And that's the first way I uh, discovered that. And then after I started um, working in that area of trainings more and more, I started thinking about what other tools I could bring into that world. And that's where mentalism came in. So I was doing mentalism for like, I don't know, six, seven years uh, when I started doing trainings. And I was thinking about how I could use that to the advantage of um, like managers and students without ever going into like the secrets of a specific trick or something like that, which was not relevant to what they're doing. And one thing that I noticed was very important in mentalism and especially me as a creator, uh, and I think this might resonate with you as well, Ben and Adam, um, is the idea that we play a lot with perceptions. Uh, and the words that we use have a specific impact on the way people in front of us perceive a certain environment, certain atmosphere, certain condition. So if you start to understand perspective that way, then you can use that framework, that sort of way of thinking about life as a mentalist and apply it to uh, students and managers who need to adapt to, to their environment. And so that's the area that I've now been taking the most and the trainings that I do the most, like my go to uh, lectures and stuff like that are all about influence, the art of influence, uh, how to communicate efficiently, how yeah. to understand the framework of someone else in front of you so that you can convince them so that you can collaborate with them so that you can get them where you want them to be. And that you can have like the best at life, basically. We're, we're going to come we're going to come back to that framework soon. We're going to come back to that because that That's sounds that not not that I'm not that I'm gonna you know kind of put your arm behind your back to make you give away all your secrets but I mean Adam do you have do you have anything at the minute I've I've got I'm, I'm awash with things I want to ask oh, yeah that, that all sounds like it's one of those sort of great stories where I, I love it when you can combine two things together especially if you come from like a different background uh, in, in your work and you've got a passion and you can combine those things well not necessarily work just two passions that you can fuse together I'm a big fan of that kind of thing uh, but I was just wondering like before the engineering then was mentalism uh, a sort of inspiration for you beforehand were you doing uh, anything in mentalism before the course or was that during the time of when you were when you were doing engineering so um, I I started with magic, first of all, when I was in high school. Well, to be honest, my, my first um, artistic thing, thing that I did the most that I still do today was singing and music. I sing a lot. I, I did I did concerts and musicals and stuff like that. So I really, really am enamored by, by, by music. Uh, and I did that since I was like, since I was, I don't know, five, six. Uh, okay. I've always had a love for singing. I remember when I was a kid. Uh, I used to say, when I grow up, I want to become a singer and, a, a, and an engineer, which is sort of similar to what I do today. But... Hey, <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Having yeah. a dream and all um, that, come on. Yeah, exactly. So so, so it's really insane. And um, I remember I was, I think I was 14 or 15 years old when I discovered magic and it was by accent. It wasn't like, I, I know a lot of magicians say they, they saw a magician on stage and that's what inspired them. I didn't have that ta-da moment. Uh, what I had was I, I went to the supermarket and I was going to buy myself a um, 
damn it, how do you call them? Uh, a um, cassette, you know these. Uh, oh yeah, like, the, the, like for music, like these... tape player. No, no, no. Oh, yeah. um, uh, a cassette, which are like basically uh, like wooden puzzle games, something like that. Puzzle. Oh, Can okay, puzzle? okay. Puzzles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sort of. So, so basically, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like, like puzzles and, and brain teasers and stuff like that. And so, I was walking in the, in the toy section, and I stumbled across a a small box, which had written on it twenty easy card tricks, with two decks with it. And I was like, "What is that? Why not?" So I just bought that instead of my uh, brain teaser, um, <laughs> and I started practicing and and performing. So it was really ridiculous stuff. Like the first things you. You learn like, uh, oh my God, you, you take a card and then it changes somewhere. Or also like the four queens that you lose in the deck and then they come together. That, that's sort of very <laughs> the classical four thieves, stuff. They run to the top of the building. Like, hey, exactly. Do do? That, that was basically it. <laughs> <laughs> you place the jack in the middle and then the other thief goes up and then the police arrive and hey, they <laughs> We don't have a life. We don't have a life. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I started practicing that and uh, when I did it for the first time to I think it was my grandmother and some friends of mine it was the first time I ever saw that awe reaction that the, the moment when they go oh what and that that moment I was like that's an interesting emotion I want to explore that and so I started becoming uh, obsessed by by card magic and by magic in general I did a lot of card magic for for two years, so I started YouTube videos and 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 a lot of videos and, and trying to like the things that I could learn from YouTube. I, I, yeah. I learned them things that I couldn't. I, I used to try and understand them so that like uh, reverse engineer them so that I can do them myself uh, because I didn't have a lot of money to put into that, uh, and my yeah. parents weren't big fans of that hobby, so they didn't encourage me a lot. So I had to develop my own methods and stuff like that. Um, and two years after that, I discovered mentalism. So I was at yeah. the end of my high school and, um, I, I found that basically it allowed a far better connection with the audience member. And I was like, that's exactly what I was looking for in magic. Yeah. Uh, and so that's when I started, uh, learning all about like reading mentalism books, but also studying hypnosis, uh, PNL, a little bit of psychology and, and trying to see where it all links together because I was really fascinated about creating that connection that connection was and it still is something that i'm really looking forward to so like how how you can connect to that people how you can create that connection that is in the moment where you sort of understand them get to know them better and and you can yeah. do something that is far more impressive <laughs> What 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 do you think then is and and every everyone I'm well I'm well aware that the question I'm about to ask there is no right or wrong answer everyone will have a different viewpoint but what 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 do you what do you think it is about the difference between mentalism and magic in terms of that connection because they they both have a certain moment but like one one seems to on the surface focus more on a spectacle then yeah. the relationship rather than the relationship than any kind of you know spectacle ah, moment after the fact what do you what, what is that for you what do you think about that so i i've had that discussion a lot with a lot of people and as you know everybody has their own um way of seeing it the way i've separated it is that 
um, I, I separate these in three categories, mentalism, mental magic, and magic, which for me are three very different things. Um, and the reason why I do that is that I've heard that the idea of like, yeah, mentalism is, a, is, is less of a show and more of a connection. But in reality, when you go to see what mentalism looks like in France, most mentalists don't give a crap about their audience and they're just like about the show. So you're like, maybe that's not it. Uh, in comparison to that, I've seen other um, definitions talk about the idea of impossibility and improbability, which was interesting. Sure. So the idea of magic is impossible, whereas mentalism is improbable. Um, and that, um, yeah, magic relies on the fact that this can't be happening, so therefore it creates magic. But it's not completely true as well, because if you see the development of what's called la nouvelle magie, so with Etienne Saglio, uh, Raphael Navarro, Jan Frisch, etc., yeah. uh, their magic is not impossible. Their magic is improbable. They, they play on the realm and on the, uh, on the verge of where is reality and where is illusion. So it's not the same thing as well, but it's still magic. So I, I've spent a lot of time trying to understand why, in some cases, uh, people had better reactions for some mentalists and others don't. So the way I define my mentalism and the way I see and I define those three categories hmm. is that magic, the focus of the audience is on a certain object. Whereas in mentalism, the focus of the audience is on something that is untangible, that is in the air, that is unseen. What I mean by that is that um, magic deals with uh, physical impossibilities. So something levitating, something disappearing, reappearing, uh, something changing, um, maybe a coincidence as well, maybe in a choice that has been discovered. The magician finds a, a card of, of a shuffled deck, so it's not impossible for him to find it, but yet the magic is still there. Mm -hmm. um, but the focus is on the cards. The focus is on the object itself. Whereas for me in mentalism, the questions that the audience themselves are asking is on untangible things, choices, feelings, and thoughts. And what I mean by that is I have an example. Um, when I see some people um, coming out of a bad mentalism show, what I mean by that is that I would classify that as mental magic. If I go to a person and I go, okay, you know what? Uh, I'm going to give you this deck of cards, shuffle it. Okay, fair enough. Just choose a card, got it. Show it to everyone around. Place it back in the deck. Let me shuffle again. Completely lost, fair. Now look at me. Um, you went for the two of hearts. And that, that person goes, yeah. Where is the point of focus of the audience? It's not my thoughts, and it's not the thoughts of the audience. They're focusing on the cards. They're thinking about how I got the card. They're so impressed. But if you were mm. to ask audiences to say what's on their mind, they would say, how did he get the card? How did he guess the card? So we're talking about guessing, not even about divining it. How did he know it? How did he see? Maybe he found a way. So everything, the focus is on the cards. And if you think about it, in the beginning, I brought the cards and I gave it to them. So the audience is focusing on the card. That for me is mental magic. And there are a lot of shows, uh, especially in France here, where it's more mental magic than mentalism because the audience leaves the stage thinking about the object. Oh my God, how did that card with my name on it appear in the deck? How did my thoughts appear within that envelope? Which are questions that if we were doing mentalism, the audience shouldn't be asking themselves. So now, when I get to mentalism, for me, mentalism is when the audience only thinks about untangible things, 
like the thought procedure of the audience or of the mentalist themselves. So let me say, give you the same example as the card trick, but present it in the mentalism way. Oh, sorry, you wanted to say something, Ben. No, no, I just, I'm, I'm interested, and, and I had to itch. That was all. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. You've um, met me. I always want to talk. I that's my yes. my downfall. I always want to talk. That's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I think that will be I, our downfall for for all three of us. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't want to stop so, your flow. Carry on. Yeah, no problem. Um, so so let's take the 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 card trick example back again. Because I, same thing, I, I thought that mentalism can only be things without object, but it's not true. We can use object in mentalism. But the only difference is that the point of focus is no longer the objects themselves. So let's say I go to see a person and I'm like, okay, let's try something together. Um, I, I want to try and, and, and see the way your mind works. So uh, you know what? Um, think of something simple, like, I don't know, uh, think of a playing card. Or you know what? I, I don't want you to think of something a playing card because you're just going to go for the queen of hearts or something like that. So you know what, just take this deck, take some something random, uh, look at it, do you have it in mind? Perfect, we don't need the deck anymore. Now focus on the card. Imagine it in front of me, between me and you, and then everything else. Now what happens, it's interesting, is if we ask audience members what they're thinking of, what they're thinking of is, why did he choose that card instead of that one? What would I have made uh, that choice? What is the mentalist thinking? What is his procedure? How is he going to get to that? And even if I, regardless of whether I do it step by step or I do it straight on, the point of focus at the beginning was not, not the physical playing cards, but the connection between me and the audience member. And I think that's the key difference between what I consider magic and what I consider as mentalism. Both are fine, but for the reason why I wanted to do this separation is because I feel that a lot of magicians want to do mentalism, but don't consider it that way and therefore reduce the impact that mentals, the mentalism has and say it goes in the other way around. I know that probably you've heard the idea of like the disadvantage of mentalism is that mentalism is not visual enough. We always say that and and like Ben knows and Adam knows and for, for all of you, basically there's a lot of thinking about how can we make mentalism visual? Like how can we create that visual moment? Because magic is visual. In France. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> so, so we're always thinking about that visual thingy. Um, but to be honest, if we only think about mentalism in terms of visual properties, mm -hmm. then we're losing the fact that mentalism is the focus on non-tangible things. So rather than considering that as a disadvantage, try and consider it as a different art form. And that way, the visual aspect becomes something completely different. So, and that's how I try to establish, um, uh, like the way I create my shows and my effects, I want the audience thinking about the connection, not the not the objects themselves. The objects are there to illustrate things, uh, but they're not the main center of attention. It could have been a card trick. It could have been an object, whatever. They're focusing on the thoughts, the emotions, and the untangible things. And so, however, the visual things can be something else. Can be the lights, can be our disposition, can be the, the different elements, can be the rhythm. All of that are visual things, but they are not related to the trick itself, uh, so as it seems. And I think it's sad to always try and say, like, I don't know, I, I don't like the idea of, uh, oh yeah, but to be honest, only magicians, and I've had a lot of that discussion with a lot of uh, colleagues of mine who have said, you know what, I completely disagree with you. Um, only magicians think of the difference between magician, magic and mentalism, 
for the layman, um, it's the same thing. And I completely, completely disagree because when you go see a layman and then when they come out of a show, one of the first questions they ask me, even if they don't know what the hell mentalism means, like nobody has a precise definition. And I think you can ask people what mentalism means for you. They will tell you something different. However, the question that I have had the most asked when people come out of the stage, they tell me, you know what? When people were doing all that weird influence thing and, and you're pretending their choices, was that magic or mentalism? If that question comes out of the mouth of a layman, then that means unconsciously they feel a difference. And I've also seen it. Maybe you know um, uh, Luc Langevin, who's a yeah, yeah. Canadian yeah. magician, really awesome. He does some mentalism in his show. So he's a, a stage uh, magician. He does a lot of like grand illusions and stuff like that. Yeah. Really, really amazing stuff. But he has some mentalism with it. And he does mentalism, not mental magic. He does mentalism. And I, I remember when I saw his show and I was walking out with other spectators, they were talking about, wow, that's amazing. And he's, he's impressive. And oh my God, he's a really good mentalist as well because he did that mentalism thing. So audience members are thinking that thing. Yeah. So people going to see a magic show are saying there's mentalism within it. And I've already had people come to my show telling me, you know what? When I went to see, I don't know, this mentalist show, yeah. In honest, I saw a magic show uh, and it was a mentalism, whereas your show was mentalism. And I can 100% guarantee you that if I had asked that person what they mean by magic and mentalism, they would have no idea what to tell me. But they have a feeling of a difference. So that difference exists for the audience's minds. Therefore, I need to think about what makes it magic or mentalism for that uh, certain person. So yeah, for me that... The, the difference that I found, which works in all situations or the, the situation that I've analyzed is the idea of tangible and intangible. If I'm focusing on the object, whether the object be the person themselves, <laughs> uh, because a person can be an object cut in half, right? Um, <laughs> then that's magic. <laughs> Ask Robert who done. Yeah, he'll tell you. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Whereas if the audience is asking themselves questions about untangible things, the future, time, um, my thoughts, my emotions, my feelings, my memories, uh, what I'm going through, uh, my thinking process, my choices, all of that, then that becomes mentalism. Mm -hmm. And that for me is like the clear distinction between both words. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, there, there's, uh, not, there's not one syllable you've just uttered that I would disagree with. And I, 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 remember, I remember hearing uh, a similar, similar things, but inverse, like the, 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 the first time I came out of the most recent Darren Brown show. Um, they, they were they were talking about all, all of like what like now when you said it they were like oh, did you see that mental thing that he did mentalist this well he's a great mentalist that and then he did this trick that was awesome and then he did this other <laughs> mentalist thing and you're like audience like for, for the well. most yeah for the for the most part it would be it would be a misnomer to assume that your audiences aren't as clued up as as you believe them to be because they they really are. Like and yeah, yeah. it 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 didn't it didn't harm Darren's show at no. all at all. Mm. The, the to quote one of the guys when he walked out, <laughs> depressed after seeing the show, he said to his wife, "Well, he's just a fucking wizard, isn't he?" <laughs> 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 Which is great, but um, he did this he did this thing where he was talking about uh uh, uh, uh the the feeling of falling in fear. So we got this one guy to lean back in a chair. 
and yeah. just left him <clears throat> suspended there. Yeah. <laughs> but it it worked within the story and the, it, the thing the thing for me if if I were to watch a mentalist magic show mental magic show whatever but my fingers in my ears I I could spot the mentalist from just talking and the audience being entertained I could spot the magician from talking and having to do stuff and being entertained and then the mental magic talking having to do stuff and then doing things like this <laughs> as well right yeah that's, that that's so there's there's not one part of that i i i i, I did it's 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 brought a lot of things that i'd, I'd kind of maybe thought of before but not really and you've just brought it all into clarity which is uh which awesome. is which and, is, and to which be is fair, more... I, I have nothing with regard to i'm not like the if you're a mentalist you can't do yeah. tricks and if you're no, a you, do, you, you do not whatever you want yeah. <laughs> exactly, and and they they match perfectly. In, in my shows, I I do mental magic because yeah. why? Because it allows a a breath of fresh air and it changes, and that's the reason why Darren does tricks as well, right? In a men, in a magician show, they can also do mental magic or a part of mentalism as yeah. well, so that, that it changes. But the interesting thing is that if when you separate them and understand each advantage and disadvantage, because they all have advantages and disadvantages, then you can f fine tune them to get the best out of each world rather than trying to do a, yeah. a, a mixture of both that will hinder. So yeah. like, for example, a lot of mentalists try to make their revelations visual. Yeah. So like they stand in a certain way, they draw in a certain way. And I'm like, that's too artificial. Yeah, it's becoming yeah. visual, but it's less powerful. So don't yeah. you want to try and maybe encompass the visual part somewhere else or at yeah. another time? And to be yeah. fair, I've already seen uh, like stand-up acts which were really hilarious and there was nothing visual about them right it's just a guy talking and you're and you're laughing so you don't need visual for it to be entertaining right? yeah it's interesting <laughs> saying I, I like obviously separating them uh and getting the best out of both of them and looking at the positive and negatives but talking about uh tan tangibility as a positive yeah do you consider magic more tangible or do you consider mentalism more tangible? Or do you think both have equal amounts to be, you know, free to do whatever they want to do in their own rights? Hmm. Um, so, so what do you mean by by that? What I'd say is, do, which one do you feel you have the more have the most freedom with? With magic oh, for me, mentalism. Uh, but it's yeah. not a uh, it's not something that I think is defined by. But like a generality it's not a generality i think okay. like the, the reason why i went to mentalism is because as an artist myself i wanted to explore that connection with the person and that has nothing to say with the power of magic that has nothing to say with the power of mentalism like um i'm, I'm uh, i know uh jan frisch when i went to see his shows they're really absolutely amazing i absolutely love what he does it's not what I do because I'm a different artist, but that's the beauty of art, right? Each artist yeah. tries to explore their different things using their own tools. Um, yeah. But I think it's very important to sort of understand it as an art form. And the thing is, most discussions that I've had with people who didn't see the difference were people who were just buying tricks and performing mm -hmm. them. And yeah, for me, that doesn't, unfortunately, I'm sorry if I'm going to hurt someone feeling, um, that doesn't make you an artist. <laughs> 
<laughs> like there, there is no understanding of the impact you're trying to do on the audience. And even if it's just buying it and thinking about how you're going to present it and stuff like that, yeah. I think the, the most important thing is, is trying to explore that realm. And, and the exploration part is very important for, for art to be art. So I think for me, I have the most freedom in mentalism. However, I have consulted for magic friends of mine for like methods and stuff like that because I love, uh, I, I love problem solving. Right, I'm an engineer. That's that's what I do. Yeah, you blow um, so I think, yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so, so why why not use it? So I absolutely love problem solving. I love riddles and stuff like that. Um, but for me, at least, the the the, the direction that I want to explore the most and the the area where I find I have the most freedom is mentalism rather than magic. Yeah, well, that, that's that that's one of the, the the grandest puzzles that have that are left to be solved. People, right? Yeah, <laughs> who, who, yeah. who has been able to solve people so far? No, no one. <laughs> no, no one at all. But no, I, I totally get it. There was a there was a line I used to I used to say at the start of my old lectures was. Um, uh, about the importance of understanding who you are and what it is that you're trying to show to a person like with what you're saying when it comes to the emotional stories within mentalism i can't do that i, I <laughs> i've i've tried like as soon as i know like if i'm at a gig and somebody asks me about like uh, uh, uh psychics for example a popular thing that comes up psychics yeah. i'm immediately thinking well i'm about to go into some mental magic right now because i don't know i can't do that I can't do that co coherent. It doesn't look right coming out of me, which is yeah. why I'm going to circle back to that framework soon. So I used to, my opening line was, um, uh, uh, are you a mentalist or are you a likable guy that knows where to shop? Right? <laughs> because there's, there's, nothing wrong, there's, there's nothing wrong with either. There is nothing yeah. wrong. There's nothing wrong with either of those things. But as as soon as you own either one, because it's what it is that you do, that makes, just in my opinion, the the act that you're about to perform more authentic as a result, Mike. Which yeah. which is why when, when people say to me things like, all right, well, what am I thinking? What hands the coin in? What, where have I hidden this? I'm at home in that kind of stuff because you, yeah. you, you, you're basically saying that I'm throwing down a challenge. I'm trying to be a dick. Let's have a battle about it. But if somebody says, oh, like this, the last time I saw this psychic and it moved me to this because I was talking about my grandmother, in my head I'm going, oh, God, I'm going to come off like a bell end in a minute because they're just going to think I don't know what they're talking about because I, I can't do it. Th those situations yeah. need somebody more like you or like, or, like, or like Peter Turner or somebody capable of of being that for them and i i i i can't do that <laughs> i can't do that well that's awesome because honestly like the the the, the try and find where i had the coin thing i have no idea how yeah. i can do that <laughs> i was like nope but i can tell you that your grandmother loved you and that she was a uh, librarian right and that she... <laughs> it's great it's great um so the framework the framework right <clears throat> So as as with with the podcast, we tend to focus on what we can apply towards development of a skill set. Not that mentalism or mental magic and any of that stuff isn't a skill set, but it requires mm. a certain degree of 
mechanics, a certain degree of mechanicry, yeah. right? Um, so when you're looking at uh, assessing a framework of an individual in, in order to understand how to connect to them for a, a better influential qualities yeah. or a better relationship, better rapport, etc., 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 what are the kind of things that you're looking for in that instance? So I'm going to give you the tool that I use the most um, in lectures and like in, in, in trainings and also as a creator. Um, so it's called the frame of mind. It's, it's a tool that is initially, uh, that is initially from NLP to so non-neurolinguistic uh, programming for those that don't know. Um, at the beginning, it was a tool only for therapeutic uses. But I've sort of used it in a different way, and I've established a, a method to it, which is basically my framework for any um, training that I do uh, with regards to influential communication. So I always start with that tool, and then we explore with a lot of different exercises and stuff like that with hands-on practical things so that people exert. But I'm going to give you the tool. So the idea is this. Um, let's say I want to... Um, how am I going to present that? Okay, so um, most often than not, we are objective focused rather than people focused. What I mean by that is that I think all of you uh, listening, uh, you've already been on a, in a debate with someone and you've left off saying, oh my God, I can't believe this guy's insane. Like, why can't he understand that I'm right? I've shown him articles. I've shown him arguments. I've told him my own personal experience and he's called me a liar, and then I've I've told him everything, and he still can't understand that I'm right. That person has was thinking the exact same thing about you. Uh, they were thinking, oh, yeah, I'm not, why can't they understand that I'm right? I've shown them articles, I've shown them things. And every single person that I have, like, debated with uh, a conspiracy, um, conspiracy theorist or someone with completely different views, or whether it be about politics or about theories or psych, whatever, um, you always leave with that very weird and awful feeling, like aftertaste. And you're like, ah, oh, I've given him everything and I've shown him all the way I could show him and still he doesn't understand. So I'm going to bring you in another way to influence and that's the way I use framework. The idea behind the framework is that we as individuals have been influenced by a lot of things, by our bringing up, by our culture, by what par our parents are have taught us, by our education, by what has just happened to us throughout the day, mm -hmm. by what I'm wearing, but what is around us, but by what I've just eaten, every single thing puts us in a certain frame of mind. And what's that frame of mind is basically what I'm thinking about at a specific instant. That's basically it. Um, there are a lot of things that happen in the mind and there are things called uh, cognitive biases. So what are cognitive biases? Cognitive biases are sort of shortcuts that the mind has developed, uh, which are fascinating things, which basically allow you to become more efficient in everyday life. So they're very useful in general. One of the most common ones is, for example, um, the confirmation bias. The confirmation bias is the idea of actually, when you believe in something, your mind will only show you the things that confirm that belief. Uh, so for instance, um, if you believe that the earth is round, then when you're going to research on Google, you're going to research things like, I believe that I'm not going to, <laughs> I see many of, oh my God, we're not going to talk about <laughs> I'm like, are you flat earthist? No, God, no. 
Perfect. So we're agreed. <laughs> so what I mean by that is that if I'm discussing with a flat earthist, right? Um, and if I want to try and find things to prove him, the things that I am going to research on Google will be questions like, why is the earth round? Prove that the earth is round. Show me photos of the earth is round. So things that confirm my belief. Whereas if I believe something completely different, let's say that the earth is flat, the things that I'm going to research on Google will be things like prove that the earth is flat, images of the flat earth, models of the flat earth. So things that will confirm my belief. It's because that's the easiest way to do. When we're looking for a shop around us, when I'm, I'm hungry, for example, and I want a McDonald's, I'm going to write down on my Google Maps, find me a McDonald's. I'm not going to ask him, find me something, anything else than McDonald's and prove me that there is a McDonald's that is around me. That wouldn't make sense, right? That's yeah. the reason why the confirmation bias exists. So it helps us in everyday life. But yeah. when we're talking about efficiency, we're always removing from truth and veracity. And that's a always a, a an equilibrium state that we're researching in science. Whenever you try to become and to get closer to the truth and to reality, the less it becomes useful and efficient. The more the models become harder and elaborate, the less they become useful. And so it's the same thing with the mind. We've got beautiful biases. So we've got that one. We've got selective attention, which is basically our sensors right now are are bringing into our mind millions and millions of information every single second. But our mind is only focusing on five to six of these information at a specific moment. If, however, now I tell you, you can focus and you can feel uh, your butt on that chair, there is a weird thing that happens in your mind. It's like, oh my God, I had that feeling all along and I didn't notice it. And then if I tell you about the fact that you're breathing, about the fact that your clothes are sticking to your skin, that creates weird attention biases and your attention starts looking in different directions that weren't present there. Whereas that information was already there every single time. Why? Because if I'm focusing at every single sing second of my life, of every single information that all my senses are bringing me, I become autistic. And that's really what autism is or a certain type of autism is. It's basically not being able to skim down all that information to ridiculous and, and attention, uh, like selective attention bias. So it's good for our survival, but that means that we have a lot of information that are right in front of our eyes and that become completely invisible. That's the main element of it. So there are a ton of biases and there, have, there are a lot of studies on that and it's really fascinating. So they're good. That it's not negative, but when we're talking about understanding another person, trying to convince them, there will be a lot of biases that can go against that understanding. So that's the first thing. Mm -hmm. So the framework is uh, all the biases that are activating at a certain moment that are allowing me to see the world the way I see it at a specific moment. So let me give you another example. Let's say I... Uh, but just right behind me, I'm telling you a story, and right behind me, there's the word uh, pain, right? Or I have a t-shirt with the word pain. So now, just keep that word somewhere in your mind, and let me tell you a story. So it's the story of a manager uh, who's been working late at night um, in his office, and so he, he finished work very, very late at night, so he's very tired, and he got his car, 
And since he was tired, he didn't see the red light, the red stoplight. So he crossed the light. And that same moment, there was a child that was crossing by. Uh, the car hit the child. Uh, the child broke his two um, legs and went to the hospital for three months. And the manager took six months in jail. Now, forget that story. And imagine now behind me, rather than pain, there is uh, another word, say forgiveness. Or it's written on. Just put that word somewhere in your mind. I'm going to tell you another story, completely different. So that other story is about a manager working uh, in his office. So he was working very late at night. And um, since he was tired, uh, he took his car to go back home. But because of his long day, he didn't see the red light that was stopping him. So he crossed the light. And at the same time, there was a kid that was crossing that light. Uh, the manager hit the kid. The kid broke his two legs, went to the hospital for three months, and the manager took six months in jail. So now what's beautiful is that the only thing that I changed is the random word that I gave you at the beginning. It could have literally been a word that was on my T-shirt, that was behind me as I was walking on the street or whatever. And yet, your understanding of the story is completely different. At the first time, the thing that got the most out of the story was the accent. Like, oh my God, the poor kid. Oh my God, that's horrible. Uh, damn you, you manager. And then the second time, you're like, oh, but he's working late. Oh, he got six months in jail for that. Maybe that was a little bit too much. So there are other elements that are brought up of that story, even if it's exactly the same story with the exact same words. And that's what's beautiful about framework. That's what's known as uh, the framing effect. Mm -hmm. When there is something that is presenting itself and based on what I start presenting you before I go into something else, it changes your understanding and your appreciation of where you, what you're going to experience, which is fascinating. Brilliant. So once you understand that, you now start to see a little bit better as to how communication problems happen, right? I've got my own framework, which are my beliefs, my education, maybe a part that is, I don't know, in genes, I have no idea, but there is my framework, right? And you're bringing me a lot of arguments. I'm not going to see the same things as you've seen in those arguments. I'm not going to understand those sentences in the same way. So yeah. the framework that I present is if you want to convince someone, we're going to do something different. Rather than trying to blindly lead them to your objective, which is outside of their framework, right? Because mm. their framework is there. Your objective is there. What we do is we change directions to sort of force them to go and, and we go like, I don't know, maybe hopefully one day we'll, we'll latch onto the correct method, but that's not going yeah. to work. It's like finding a way out like by, by throwing random darts, right? It's, it's yeah. basically it. You're just throwing different types of arguments. And we say ourselves that we're like, okay, if he wasn't convinced by this article, then I'm going to use emotions. If he's not convinced by emotions, I'm going to use that thing. So it's very manipulative. It's very strategic like, but we're not trying to understand the other person. And maybe you get lucky and one of the ideas hits, right? But it's just luck. Mm -hmm. So the idea that I'm going to present for you is different. Rather than going from the objective, at first I'm going to understand the frame of mind of the person in front. How do they see the world? How do they understand what's happening? When they bring me an argument and I disagree with the argument, instead of saying that argument is wrong, I need to tell myself, that argument is correct for them. So what is that part of that argument that makes sense for them? And once I understand that, so I'm going to ask questions. Okay, so what do you mean by that? 
okay, etc. And I'm going to go forward and forward, understand their language, understand what hits them. And after a long procedure, I'm going to understand the way they see the world. I'm going to understand why that makes sense for them. Mm. Once I have done that, I'm going to go into their frame of mind. So the first question is, what is their frame of mind? I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to observe them. Uh, someone from a certain uh, social background will not think the same way as someone else. Um, someone ha who, who uses certain words will be more susceptible to understand these sorts of arguments and stuff like that. Once I've understood that, I'm going to make myself visible. So I'm going to enter their frame of mind. I'm going to start mimicking them. I'm going to start talking their language. I'm going to start showing them that, okay, I understand completely where they're at. And once I'm in their frame of mind, I'm going to drag that frame of mind outwards to get them to that objective. So the parallel, the metaphor I could use is, let's say um, you have a, uh, you and your friend are lost in a forest. You found your way out and you can see your friend from a camera, right? From, from high yeah. above. He's completely lost in the forest. If you want to convince him in the classic way that we do, you're going to tell him, okay, go right, go right, turn right after that tree. Not that tree, you're more on the other tree. No, but listen to me. Okay, go back a little bit and you find that river. What river? The river that's right in front of you. Can't you see it? No, there are rivers. No, there's not a river. That's a river in the small pond. Okay, go back to the river. And that's basically what happens when we're arguing, right? Yeah. Now, the other method, I'm going to tell him, okay, where are you at? Just stay put. Where are you at? Okay, interesting. You're right next to that. Okay, let me see if I can find you. Oh, did you go that way and that way? And what I do is I go from the outwards and I trace my way inwards. When I find them, I go, okay, there you are. Come with me. I know the exact way out. And I drag them with me from that exact track that I did to come forward. And so that's the main thing that I can give out, which is basically the essential uh, framework of most of my trainings, whether it be a training of like one hour or two days. And everything is related to these three steps, understanding the framework, going in the framework, and then moving the framework. Obviously. And then how we do each steps is a little more, well, basically just getting curious of the person, asking yeah. questions, understanding yeah. what makes sense for them. And that will convince people way better than just arguing. I love it, mate. I love it because it's, 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 it's hit upon, and again, just for my two pennies, uh, 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 a singular problem with the way arguments, debates, discussions, whatever word you want to use to to call it, is, and and it's it's the problem of ego. Like yeah. people aren't necessarily concerned with the information that they put forth, more that they are right, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> more 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 that they are right. And I, I remember having a similar discussion in a in a customer service role I worked in years ago. Uh, and the lady that was interviewing me was going, now bear in mind, you will you will have to take a lot of abuse on the phone. We'll be dealing with some very angry people. And my my response to that was, well, just because they say it louder doesn't make doesn't mean they're right. <laughs> you know <laughs> in that in that kind of scenario. But that that's what that's what you've hit upon for me, and that's if we could just step out of our own thing and our own yeah. but just to hear yeah. from the other side one of one of the questions that i love to pose to people uh, and it's it's similar but uh, you, you're always yeah. sharp as the proverbial tack um and it's it's <laughs> the practice it's the practice of virtue 
in, in that mm. like when um, when we have uh, values behaviors motivations thoughts beliefs opinions it's all with a personal projection of interpretation of some kind you know if i have a belief i believe in this wholeheartedly and everything mirrors through whereas a virtue just is a virtue is without one way yeah. or the other it is you you might be feeling righteous you might be feeling truthful you might be feeling that you know but it just it's it's immutable so like i would say to people um what are what are Donald Trump's virtuous properties? And people go, "Oh my God, that that guy's a an evil misogynist." Like, no doubt, no doubt, all of that's true. No doubt, all yeah. of that's true. But from his side, mm. he will have some virtuous properties. And if we could stop listening to all of the noise that we have in here for a moment, just to listen to them, yeah. just to listen to them, that's. That's so cool, mate. I love that. Thank you for, thank you for sharing that. Pleasure. Um, there's, uh, I mean, I've I've got one last question to go. Uh, add, add. Do you have anything else you want to ask, mate? I, I was just going to say, like, uh, obviously, when you were talking about like before our perceptions and how we uh, view things and how others view things and playing with that, and then just then talking about uh, the framework idea that you've had and how that works. Uh, is something is like in terms of you putting that all together is that something that you feel like you've always been putting together or is that something that has come over time and you've realized like you know it came in terms of an idea did it birth mm. itself later on in your career or did it do you think like it's something that's always been there and you've worked towards putting it together like have you had those um, ideas yourself no i think I, I had to work i had to work on it a lot um yeah. um so so i started I'm, I'm really fascinated with psychology and neuroscience and stuff like that i still learn up to this day about what are the new developments and stuff like that that, that are coming out yeah. um the the way I, I came up with with that model was basically literally trying to always i'm always trying to find parallels from, from different things trying to see yeah. what works and what doesn't uh, compare that to the research that I've, uh, I'm seeing, comparing that to what I do in mentalism. So it's always that sort of circle. And the framework idea was um, the first time that I sort of thought about framing was literally in mentalism, because in a lot of effects, we talk about reframing. Uh, so reframing is literally the art of saying something that didn't quite happen as much <laughs> or that way at the end of effect, just to switch up <laughs> just to switch up uh, the audience's memories to make the effect even better or just to make the effect work um so i started getting oh, cool. curious about that i'm like okay so if we can change that memory just with that orientation then maybe we can basically sort of see the world in that in that way and that's when i found reframing the art of reframing from nlp and i try to and that's my engineering side I always try to systemize everything that I do to always try to find a, a systemic way to make it so that I can teach it and so that I can adapt it to myself and always improve it. So at first, of course, it was very in intuitive, but that that three ideas of seeing the frame, going in it and then moving it was an easy way for me to make it understandable. And also what it allows me to do is um, it allows me to separate my training into those three categories. So first thing, understanding the frame of mind, and then we go in depth of 
how do we understand the frame of mind, the different way people work. I make them understand a lot of different uh, like uh, personality type models, um, understanding with observation what they can see, how to create a true empathetic link and not just judging, which is the key difference here, how to really observe and deduce and not project and deduce, which is has nothing to do with, uh, with each other. And once you understand that, and I think Ben is an expert in that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the second step is how to get in that framework. And so I've been reading a lot of different things and I'm sort of, I'm always trying to combine um, different ideas from different perspectives. So my trainings are a mixture of what I studied in negotiation, what I've read in books, what I do in mentalism from my experience on stage, plus different things that I read in psychology and everything is trying mingled and mangled up to, to create something that is useful for, for my trainees. So for example, one of the things that I use the most that I found, which is really beautiful is from Chris Voss, who's a negotiator, uh, who used to be a negotiator for the FBI, um, who wrote a book called never split the difference, which is really awesome in negotiation. Uh, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Great book. That book right there. Difference. Awesome book. And one of the key elements here, which I teach, uh, is labeling. So labeling is the idea of saying out loud an intuition you have uh, of the other person. And when I, when I read that, I was like, oh my God, that goes directly into going into that frame of mind. So that's literally the second step. The reason why he starts connecting with the person is that if I say out loud an intuition of what you're thinking of, I'm forcing myself into your frame of mind because I'm making myself visible. And then I thought to myself, wait, that's exactly what we've studied during my hypnotherapy diploma. Because in hypnosis, when you study the theory behind pacing and leading, the literal idea is you start saying things that are obvious to the other person and then you start taking them somewhere else and then start saying things which are become suggestions. So for instance, I can say to you, as you're listening to my voice, which is obvious, and then I could go further. And as you're focusing on, on the weight of your body on that chair, which is less obvious, but still true, I can take you somewhere else. And then you start to become aware of the different ideas that come to mind, which has nothing to do with anything, but it's still true you start noticing that your breathing starts to deepen and, and it gets slower and slower and slower. And that moves you. And that's what he's doing, basically. It's sort of like a hypnotic tool, which is going into the frame of mind. And so when I find these tools, I sort of mix them up. And, and that's why I keep on researching everything else. So no, the, the model wasn't always there with me. It's always like adapting it and making it easy to understand. Uh, same yeah. thing for influence. I tried to find translate that to damn i can't translate it to english um i when the first time that i i did it's a right, mate. Class, I'll, I'll, under, I'll understand you it's fine carry on yeah you know, i'll translate it but the acronym will oh. not work basically um so the <laughs> we'll just do it one-on-one -on -one, ben <laughs> um the the one of the t uh, classes that i teach is uh um, how to handle a job interview, basically. So I teach that in like uh, business and engineering schools. So uh, the posture, et cetera. And so I was trying to find uh, four or three uh, powerful things to work on. And so it's a f f mind frame, I would say, that I can construct my, my, my uh, teaching around. And I found an acronym, which I call the ABCD of influence. 
So because A, B, C, D, uh, because I found four words that actually represent the four elements that for me are the quintessential parts of influence. So the first one is agréable, which means let's let's try practicing then. So translate it for you. Agréable, which is? Uh, agreeable. <laughs> agreeable, perfect. Uh, répondre aux besoins. I heard besoin, so I know that is need. Perfect, I exactly. I didn't hear so the bit before, the though. Satisfy the need. Uh, répondre aux besoins. Répondre, so uh, yeah. Respond to the need, yeah, yeah. Um, digne de confiance. I, I would know that as uh, the, the confidence of, uh, like, I don't know, uh, to be honest. I'll be honest. No problem. I don't trustworthy. Know. <laughs> confiance is trustworthy. Trust. Trustworthy. Ah, confiance. So, confidence. Digne yeah, de, yeah, yeah. confiance is trust. Digne de confiance is trustworthy. And in the end, uh, memorably distinctive. It's a distinctive memory. Yeah, sort of. So, so uh, easily remembered and yeah, yeah. distinguishable. Basically, yeah, that's yeah. the idea. So my four elements, which is agréable, agreeable, besoin, um, confiance, et distinguable, that just became my ABCD uh, because they were the four elements that I was trying to construct around. And so when I give the class, my class separate into four elements, how to become agreeable, how to reply to needs, how to become, uh, how to show that you're trustworthy and how to become distinguishable. So it's always about, about creating tools and creating ways for people to easily memorize them. And I don't invent the research, basically. As a trainer, I'm not the one who's developing the research on, on, on discovering new biases and stuff like that. The only thing that I'm doing is using that research in comparison to my experience as a mentalist and as a, uh, as a creator and trying to see the links between them, trying to see how I've applied these tools. Uh, oh, that's awesome. Thank you, Tobias. <laughs> um, so the uh, trying to find the links between these tools and and um and what i've done as a mentalist what i've experienced my negotiation uh tactics and i always try when i learn something new i always try it myself and try to see how it works how it doesn't work to put it into words and then as a trainer my job is to make this understandable practical and easy to use for uh the people that i'm teaching so invent the exercises that can go well for them understand their problems and everything that I'm teaching you, basically the frame of mind and stuff like that. I always have to do that when I'm, whenever I'm lecturing and whenever I'm, I'm, I'm doing trainings, I always come up to managers. When I started, I was like 20 and, and I was in, facing like managers who, who had like 50, 60 years old. And I was like, who's this youngster who's going to teach us about communication. Right? So they were always like, Nope, that thing's wrong and stuff like that. And you need to be able to get their, uh, understand where they're coming from without being arrogant and trying to dismember that so that everybody can learn something. So yeah, it's, it's always construction, but that's what I love about it. Amazing. Fantastic. Amazing. Uh, so listen, <laughs> we've, we've, we've gone, we've gone way, way further than, than we'd planned. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> no, no, like all that means, all that means is thanks mostly to the interest that we've been getting as well, that you've essentially signed yourself up for coming back for a part two. That's oh, that's <laughs> <awesome>. perfect. <laughs> that just that goes to show fun. how that just goes to show how nice he is because I've never mentioned that until this moment. <laughs> yeah, <he did. laughs> on the spot. That's, that's it. He <laughs> could have by rights just gone. No, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, ladies and gentlemen, 
we we are me we as in me and Adam, we are heading up to a world class convention of of mentalists in uh, in July the very start of July uh, as it goes. Uh, known known as Minds in in Newcastle upon Tyne, uh, to uh, to hang out, to, to chat, to interview, right. to hopefully talk to some more people like Paha, um, Daniel Johnson, who's been on the show uh, on the podcast a while back. He's going to be lecturing there as well. Uh, uh, Mick Wilson will no doubt be there, who's been on before. Uh, Michael Murray, who's runs Minds. Basically runs everyone's mind. To be fair, let's be honest. <laughs> it still bugs me from his last his last interview on here that he flippantly mentioned, "Yeah, I've solved the lottery." Yeah, <laughs> I'm still, he's so he's so painfully cool. I love it. Um, I love it. Um, but Taha is lecturing at uh, at, yeah. at Minds as well. So we're gonna get we're gonna get to see him strut his remarkably intelligent stuff in front of uh, just a group of absolutely wonderful individuals so more on that uh, obviously live it live in july but you'll hear it more and more and more because we're in march now at the minute and we're, me and adam are very excited <laughs> we'll be t- we'll be talking about that at the time so uh taha all, all, all that's left to say mate is if people want to want to see more of you uh, if they are in France, they can obviously come to do it. But like, given that we are uh, we are around the world, what, how are they best to kind of immerse themselves in the world that is you? In the world that uh, is me. So um, uh, the the best way they can see what I do is go to my website first of all. So tahamansour dot com. T a h a m a n s o u r all attached dot com. Um, to where you can sort of see what I sort of do. Um, the things I, I'm trying to think about the things that are in English, that's why, because most of the things that I've done are in, in French. I've got a podcast as well, but it's in French, so it's uh, um, advertise it anyway. Uh, advertise yeah, it. okay, so, so someone will speak French that out there, French, yeah, maybe. Uh, for those of you who, who, who understand French, so I've got a weekly podcast called L'Art du Mentaliste. Um, so, uh, the art, art of, of the mentalist, mentalist. yeah, phew, you're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so now the Montalis, trying to trying to redeem myself. Basically, every single week, uh, <laughs> um, the every single week we have a. I, I talk about a different subject of how mentalism can be useful in everyday life. So I talk about the frame of mind. I talk about hypnosis. I talk about creating effects. I talk about um, how to write a show, how to negotiate, how to influence stuff like that. And I regularly have um, uh, guests, just like on this podcast, talk about specific things. So if you want to follow that, and if you understand French, then feel free. Uh, apart from that, you can check a couple of my, uh, some of them, are, are they translated in English? Uh, hopefully. Uh, I've got some videos on my YouTube channel. Um, YouTube does a, does think... a translation caption option that you can, if you don't speak oh. the language, you can, you can translate okay, it. Okay, then that's good. Yeah. Then, yeah, I've got a couple of, of YouTube videos where I have some performances, I'm not very active, so there are not a lot, but you can type Taha Mansour on, on YouTube and you can find me. Um, the things that I'm that I've worked the most on, on the channel and I, the things that I talk the most about on, on the YouTube channel is um, wh- I, I love hypnosis and I do a lot of hypnosis on stage, but I feel always that most hypnotism shows are lazy because they always do the same effects and any two hypnosis shows and i guarantee you, you can go anywhere around the world any two hypnosis shows will most likely have exactly the same effect you get a lot of people on stage they all sleep 
and then they start forgetting things and then they start hallucinating and doing random stuff like becoming a pig and swimming in the sea and then seeing everybody naked that's very important because it always happens one person sees a celebrity that they really have a crush on or they're, they're in love. And in the end, you end up with a person eating a slug or something horrible, uh, which is not the case. And then another person becoming stiff and then lying on two benchmarks. That's it. It's always, always the same thing. And so it bothers me because hypnosis has so much more to do. And so whenever I use hypnosis, I try to see what I can do, which couldn't be done consciously by an actor because if I'm going to see a hypnosis show where regardless of whether they're hypnotized or not, I can do the same thing just by acting, then what's the point, right? So one of the things that I've explained on my YouTube channel is called La Boîte de Pandore, which is one of the effects of hypnosis effects that I've created that I use sometimes in festivals. Uh, it's called Pandora's box, basically. So the idea is I bring a person on stage, there's a box on stage. So I hypnotize them, I do the first classic things of like, they're sticking on the ground. They forget their name. And then I replace that name by Pandora. Now this is where, where it gets interesting. So I tell them that box on stage. Oh, sorry. For those of you who don't know what, what the Pandora's myth is about, uh, basically it's a Greek from, it comes from Greek mythology where basically the idea of, is that, uh, the gods sent Pandora who was the first, um, woman, uh, on earth. And she came with her curiosity and her defaults and stuff like that. And Zeus gave her a box. The box held all the bad evils of the world, basically. And he told her that's a gift, but you can't open it. Pandora accepted the gift, but seeing as she was human, her curiosity built up and she couldn't stop herself from just taking a peek. She released all the seven evil sins of the world and then closed the box, uh, not allowing hope to escape the box. So basically that's the myth. Um, what I was intrigued about that was the, the imbalance she felt and like sort of the dissonance between her knowing that's the most, the, the, the baddest thing, the worst thing she could ever do, but at the same time, her curiosity pushing her to do it. So on stage, I hypnotize the person. There's a box on stage and I tell him, okay, that box is a gift for me to you. That box, uh, in that box is something. You are not allowed to open that box. That's the worst thing you can ever do. If you open that box, you remove all the evils in the world. And as soon as you open the box, you will fall on the ground. You will have no effort. No, you will no longer have limbs or except you'll just fall. But at the same time, the more you walk towards your chair, uh, towards your seat in the audience, the less you'll be able to control your body from going back on stage to opening it. And I just let him go and I do nothing. And what happens is that you have a beautiful moment, and, and that is on YouTube, where for 10 minutes straight, the show doesn't know, is no longer on stage, but in the audience, where a, a spectator is sort of struggling, but fighting himself, like from not going back on stage. And, and he's like, stop it. And, and the more he fights, the more that resistance builds up and stuff like that, until in the end he arrives there, and he starts building strategies about like at one point he starts seeing his hands going like that and he does this to sort of hide them, which is hilarious. And, and when he arrives, he opens the box, he falls, I catch him, of course, and then there's a liberation. And and that is one of the most powerful things. And, and everybody that was there uh, on that show is still talking about it to me about that moment. And it's very, very powerful. So on YouTube, I have a shortcut version of it 
where basically you see the trailer of everything that happened. And then two more videos of like 15 minutes where I explain with a voiceover, the reason why I'm saying what I'm saying, the psychology because behind why it's working and what is happening inside the frame of mind of that person as he's living through that experience. So if you're interested of understanding like what hypnosis is and how, how it works and stuff like that, I highly suggest you check out these videos. And um, yeah, I, I think that's the best ways they can, they can find me so far uh, because unfortunately the most, the other, other things that I do are in, um, are in, are in French. <laughs> well, I, I will put, I will put, I will put all of the details uh, uh, down below uh, for guys to check it out at their leisure. Uh, but it just remains to say, uh, mate, thank you for your time. And uh, I, I, I don't, I, I've never told you this as well. Um, I've got, I've got two of your podcast episodes transcribed in my language learning app to teach me more French. Really? <laughs> yeah, because uh, clearly awesome. uh, je, je ne parle pas français. Ouais? <laughs> um, no, but um, I got no, I got I got episode um, uh, uh, twenty eight and twenty nine in in my in my link app to make through as a transcript to try and teach me more. So thank you very much for that as well. <laughs> well, it's a pleasure. That's awesome. <laughs> right, guys. Um, we'll so we'll have him back very soon. But um, if you could all show some form of love to Taha in the ether, whether you put out positive vibes and messages or go and follow him and his various escapades as the supreme mentalist that he is. Facebook, Instagram, I'm, I'm there as well if you want to follow me. I'll, I'll, I'll pop it all down in the, in the description below. But with that in mind, guys, we're going to love you and leave you. And uh, we'll, we'll see you all very soon. Thanks for your time, as always. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.